This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Shag, the silence has been deafening. I was I was expecting all the wish heads to really come out and be like, Peach, let's talk about wish. Let's debrief on wish. Zero people have given a shit. I think it's had zero cultural imprint. Um, I sort of thought that every Disney film was going to be Moana level, Encanto level, but it just hasn't turned out that way. Which means that the most interesting media in my week, since you and I have last spoken, has been the most recent draft version of the Nightmare Method episode one. All right, so it's official. Episode Mm. one is finished. Yes. Peach and I have decided that we're going to release it one one episode a month, mm. uh, starting from next month, which is March of 2024. We yes. don't know exactly what date we're going to drop it, but it's Probably coming. Probably the next- Ides. <laughs> Should we drop it in the Ides of March? <laughs> What's the Ides of March? Isn't that a ju- well? I appreciate the laugh without you knowing what the fuck I was talking about. So, <laughs> so, so firstly, thanks for the friendship and the vote of confidence. Um, isn't it? Doesn't it mean sort of the middle? And isn't it? From didn't oh, you never read any of the things we studied for English, despite getting very good marks for English? Did you? I didn't. So read it was in a Julius Caesar. Yeah, I no, I think I did read Julius Caesar. I didn't read Wuthering Heights, and That's somehow right. wrote a number of essays on it. But I get you the gist compelling of it. essays, as I recall. They were celebrated. Of like <laughs> everyone, everyone should pay attention to Shag's thoughts on Wuthering Heights. He, he really gets it. I, I still haven't read it. I've still never seen an adaptation of it. But my understanding is the Meatloaf and Celine Dion song, it's all coming back to me now, is about Heathcliff and Kathy's corpse dancing on a beach somewhere. Yeah, with just a bit of salt burn thrown in. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, but Shag, I'm here. I'm a co-host of The Nightmare Method, and it's a very fulfilling thing. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. So I know we've been talking about it for a while, and I know it's not the podcast you're listening to right now, mm. but we do have a new pod that won't replace Spooko, but will mm-hmm. run alongside Spooko launching next month. So do stay tuned. Yeah, you know your boys, Peach and Shag. We would never dream of doing less work. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no version of this. <laughs> this is doing less work. <laughs> it's wild that our thought process was we'll just do more and somehow. Yeah, put that like, in. yeah, like, we just will. We just will. <laughs> and so far, it looks like we just have. Um, we're all like, I'm all super excited. Um, if you want to get on board the early nightmare method kind of train. We are endeavouring, or I'm certainly endeavouring to take it a little bit more seriously. Please, please go to Instagram and follow Peach and Shag's The Nightmare Method, um, I think is the name of it. Um, That's what we'd like you to do, Peach and Shag's The Nightmare Method uh, on Instagram. We're trying to sort of keep everyone up to date with Mm. 
how the recording process is going, you know, how the editing process is going, some of our thoughts on logos. we got some branding stuff uh, that we're going to sort of share with you as we figure out what we're talking about. And look, it's also just nice to have numbers bubble along on social media. I'm sure there's some way to describe that, but give us more social media numbers if you have any to spare, please and thank you. In the same way mm. that I, 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 think I, I think Adele told me this, but... Every time you click a jigsaw piece into a puzzle, it gives you a little serotonin hit. Nice. I think getting those numbers on social media, which is bad, right? Um, and I'm actually going to talk about social media being bad for your mental health right now, but please give us the numbers. They feel really good. <laughs> but okay, all right, all right. No, no, but I do yes. want to talk about something, and I want to talk nice. about something that feels like a little bit more spooko, a little bit Kafka-esque. We don't talk okay. about that term a lot on Spooko, but I think this is really important for today's film and today's episode. It's interesting. If I was to define Kafka-esque, all I've got is like, it's like, oh, it's about people turning into flies. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's really, people it's are really, really turning into flies. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Like, that's fair, right? Like, that's fair. Um, when I say Kafka-esque, I mean when people essentially become victims of a faceless bureaucracy that's not setting out to harm them, but also doesn't care that it's harming them. Isn't that Orwellian? No. Uh, I'm thinking of things like The Trial, where I can't remember the exact way it opens, but basically this guy wakes up and he's been accused of a crime that he doesn't understand. He doesn't know who's accused him of it. And the trial's like totally unfair. And by the end, I think he gets convicted. And he's a fly the whole time. He's a yeah, fly. yeah. I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, no, no, no. Look, but but okay. So, mm. so so so. And I will get I will get here. But like something mm. I think last year that was you know a little bit Kafka esque happened to me, which happens to a lot of people. Is I was made redundant, and being made redundant is this weird thing where you're not being fired. So you haven't performed your job badly, or mm. you haven't said something really offensive to somebody or you haven't <laughs> you haven't essentially breached a code of conduct that mm. means you can no longer work at the company basically a bunch of decisions that are out of your control happen that mm. mean that your company no longer has a role for you that it did the previous month or the previous week or the previous day yes or the previous sort of market uh market mo- moment in the marketplace yes yeah and it feels really Weird. Uh, Like, weirdly, I I feel like emotionally it might be easier to deal with being fired because at least there's an understanding, there's 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 reasons, there's 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 space to move. But when you're made redundant, it's you you're put in this weird limbo where and you're also given this it's weird, you're given this payout, so you don't have to immediately find work. So you're left to sort of just feel effectively feel redundant for a little while it's weird anyway so it's an unfortunate word like it oh. really like i know i i know it's like oh arguing about words what a woke thing to worry about it and it's like yeah well i mean words actually do matter like Usually. if you're describing someone as like hey guess what you are to us <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just like oh okay well that's you know that's a little bit rough so so that happened and after, you know, sort of taking like a little bit of time off to sort of process everything, 
But not taking a break from Spooko or anything like that. But not still. taking a break at yeah, all from yeah, Spooko. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I realised, you know, obviously, you know, you have to find work again. I've got a family. I've got a mortgage. We live in Sydney, which I think is still in one of the top ten most expensive cities to live in in the world. It's Lala, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went back to freelance because it's probably the easiest way to get back into things, especially in a creative industry like advertising where I work, uh, where actual jobs aren't necessarily, you can't, especially at my level, you can't necessarily just apply for them. They don't, they, they sort of get made for you, if that makes sense. Mm, yep. Or if they do have a job there, they'll ask, they'll find people they want rather than just put a job ad up. Yes. Um, it's head headhunting sort of culture. Yeah. Mm. And so- I, I went back to freelance and part of going back to freelance is I, I needed to renew my presence on LinkedIn, which is, you know, obviously the work, what will the white collar work, social media, mm. which, which I really quite enjoy. And Peach, you've, you've done well to create like a really good social media presence for yourself. Yeah, um, 16,000 followers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and I, I think something, something like I don't talk about advertising a lot on this pod like we probably talk about law more than advertising on this pod because yeah. i don't ne- i don't necessarily see myself as, as like a spokesperson for advertising shag you just connect people to the brands they love <laughs> like you're not you're not doing anything <laughs> anything but, wrong it's but, awesome. uh, but i do realize that there are things that i see and i know that mm. if you're outside of this bubble that i'm in you wouldn't know about and one of the things is how advertising linkedin works so advertising is this weird industry where people get, especially being a creative, so I'm a creative in advertising, and being a creative in advertising, you're in this weird space where you're paid pretty well to be creative and make stuff, right? Like it's mm. it's a bit of a dream job, but on the other end of things, there's not a lot of recognition outside of advertising for the things you do. And I'm not saying that like lots of people just outright hate advertising and people who do advertising, and that's fine, but also like even the stuff that's really good, especially now and especially where marketing is in 2024, it could almost be invisible to most people. And so a lot of advertising LinkedIn is sort of inward self-congratulations, but also endless talks about what creativity is and people just sharing their opinions on what they believe creativity is. Hasn't that been sort of asked and answered by now? I, I, I imagine there's a fairly oh, man. It's significant so, like, body it's so of work. Fucking, like, it is annoying. And one of, the wor- one of the things I saw while I was trying to feed the endless fucking content farms of trying <laughs> to commodify yourself when you're trying to get back into the workforce in 2023 yes. or whatever w- was a lot of older, you know, creative director, head of creatives, chief mm. creative officer level people on LinkedIn would share old ads and be like and like not say it in so many words but basically be like remember when creativity was the number one part of advertising and it's annoying because it's always a magazine ad or a billboard or something that's virtually invisible in 2024 so i wrote this like seemingly innocuous post about like i essentially said that i was like it's weird how so many like older creative heads will post old ads and be like, imagine if we ran this today, everyone would flip and it's a fucking magazine ad. So like, 
to be yeah. like, how crazy is it how relevant my experience is? Wow, it's still... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like, that's got to be the message. And, and honestly, the reason I posted it, I think one of the reasons I posted it was so people would see me. Like, you know, like, you know, like, you know the reason, like, we post things. It's like, it was a thought I had, but also I was in the mm. mindset of posting on LinkedIn because it's like, I'm trying to drum up business. I'm trying to let people know that I'm available. And one of the things I can do is just, like, share thoughts about the industry on LinkedIn. But like, I also like that you're taking shots of like, Shag, I feel like Spooko's really <laughs> infected the way you and I think about the world. <laughs> and I like the, like, guess what idiots do? Like, <laughs> and, and, and like, I didn't even just, I didn't just do, I wasn't just like, stop doing that. I was like, hey, I really think it's important, especially if you're at a senior level, to engage with what's happening now and be excited about what's happening now and maybe start sharing more of what's happening now rather than what happened oh, in the 60s so or 70s good. or 80s yes. or whatever, right? Mm. Anyway, and it's weird to think that sometimes having your point proven doesn't feel good. But as well, like, I can't think of a more correct thing to say <laughs> than what you're saying. I'm like, no, we should be talking about old stuff. Like, like you know, what even is the, what even is the argument? So I just got dunked on by so many elder and like old bosses of mine people i used to work with and like not just from australia but from like around the world oh shag i'm so sorry i i'm i must have missed this was i on a linkedin holiday oh no it's fine it's fine what's really funny though it kind of proved my point because they were all like senior creative people just go and they're like what's wrong with sharing old ads and like, oh no, old ads did used to be better. And oh, like, like one guy actually completely missed the point. Who was a, literally an old direct manager of mine, who I haven't uh. spoken to in ten years, was like, it's not like people in the eighties could comment on a TikTok, mate. Nothing wrong with old ads. What? And it was like, what does that even mean? Like, it was it it proved my point, but it also made me feel so bad. The fucking fragility, though, of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't even make me reflect for a moment on whether my view of the world is correct. I will close my ears to this. I'll ask you to close your mouth so that I don't think about it anymore. Just the fucking Anyway, it, it made me feel really bad. But then someone challenged me to be like, I can't remember what the comment was. But they were basically like, oh, but like back in the day, there were actual ideas and now everything's based on numbers. And so, none, yeah, yeah, oh my God, oh my God, right, right, right. And so I replied and was what like- What fucking idiot? Oh, I have to go in on this. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I replied and I, I can't remember what I said, but basically in, along the lines of being like, and this is true, this is what I believe. I'm like, actually, mm. I genuinely think the greatest campaign of all time was made, I think around 2016, 2017, which is, I mean, obviously old by today's standards. Mm. But it's a, it's, a, it's a campaign that Apple, and I think Apple does all their stuff in-house. In So I don't think they work with agencies. I think they have an in-house agency. And they made a campaign, I think, for the iPhone 6 because the iPhone 6 had an improved camera. And so they had a really simple idea for a campaign that's literally called Shot on iPhone 6. And they just showed a bunch of just really good photos that people had shot on their iPhones. They were, they were billboards, there was video, there was whatever. Mm. And what's amazing about this, so it went from being shot on an iPhone 6 to just shot on iPhone to mm. this evergreen, always-on campaign where you're literally just proving the efficacy of this product 
that everyone wants to use. And, you know, mm. one of the things everyone uses from their smartphones is a camera. And you're proving the efficacy, not with like a clever ad, not with a big Super Bowl commercial, not with whatever. Or a funny joke or whatever, yeah. But just proof of how good you using this phone can make the world look. I can't think of a better campaign that's ever been made. I think it's the most perfect, most simple, most creative campaign ever made. And weirdly enough, so weirdly enough, today's film, this is wild, right? This is why mm. I think this is this is why I think it's the greatest campaign of all, right? Because I, as I said before, advertising is this weird space where you get paid really well, but actually no one really gives a shit about what you do. Because often marketing and advertising doesn't really touch culture, doesn't really make culture. But what if you could shoot something on iPhone that was culture? that was something that people loved. Then, all of a sudden, you've transcended this gap that every single frustrated creative in advertising has always wanted to overcome. So, today, this is, this is what's piqued my interest. I didn't realise this about this film. I knew this film existed. I knew it got good reviews. I never realised the whole thing that was released in 2018 was shot secretly on an iPhone 7 Plus, which is ridiculous like the entire film and you can kind of tell when you watch it but it doesn't take away from the experience today peach we are doing a 2018 psychological horror film directed by steven soderbergh of all people okay called unsay your life slips away from you you know changing your phone number and your email becomes normal Taking out a restraining order, normal. Relocating to another city, normal. But you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. There's some more forms you need to fill out. It's just routine. I finished my homework. Sawyer Valentini, please follow me. What? Look, I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so. What am I doing in here? Take off your clothes down to your underwear. I'm not sure what's happening here. The door's locked. It would be better for everyone, especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. There's been some kind of mistake. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment. I am being held here against my will. Do you know how many calls the cops get like that every week? Those are from crazy people. Fucking love Claire for you. This man, he's followed me all the way here from Boston. I'm calling the cops and I want him arrested. My stalker is here. We did a thorough background check. You should be protecting me. Mom, no one believes me. I'm getting you out. There's nothing we can do unless you have proof that a crime's been committed. I must be insane. I must be insane. My mom didn't pick up last night. Hello? It must be insane. What happened to her? A dead body was discovered. He's here. Or maybe it's all in my head. Okay. Okay, okay. Um, that looks really sick. Uh I really quite enjoyed The Crown and I didn't think the last season fell off as hard as apparently everyone in pop culture thought, but perhaps that's just because I have a really inflexible way of thinking about the world. 
And once I decide I like something, I'm like, oh, I just like it forever. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that. So I'm excited. Looks like it was shot on an iPhone 8 to me. It looks great. <laughs> I mean, horror loves its gimmick films. And I think to an audience, who gives a shit if it was shot on an iPhone? And in mm. fact, part of you'd be like, oh, I kind of wish it was shot on a better camera. What's so weird, like there's this great line on um, Video Gum. Do you remember that, that the blog you shared with me years ago about mm. the hunt for the worst film of all time? Where they go, um, Kevin, you know who I'm referring to, Kevin, big jeans, shorts, mm. hockey. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith was like, he's always celebrated for like making films that don't, don't cost much. But it's like, look, it's not like you pay less to go see them at the fucking <laughs> movie. It's like, I'd probably prefer that, that, that they looked better. <laughs> and so similarly, it's like, hey, we made this really cheaply. And it's like, well, that's fine. I'd probably prefer to have a better viewing experience. Um, so I'm I'm open to it. And also, Steven Soderbergh's one of those directors where it's like, yes, he's made incredibly entertaining films like Aaron Brockovich and the Magic Mike films and the Ocean's Eleven films. But he's also made like a million films. And so, oh, he just he just makes it. He's the he's a real Steven Spielberg. He just makes films. And so it's not like I hear his name and I'm like I'm excited. But mm. what I do like about this is this is a gimmick from someone who knows how to make films. And so will probably be interested in what the iPhone 7 can do rather than just being yes. like, we can't afford it, so we just sh- we tried to mimic a camera, like a, you know, a film camera using an iPhone 7, which he doesn't do in this film. I remember when Chris Nolan was like, guys, I know you're excited about The Dark Knight, but I'm filming some of it on an IMAX camera. <laughs> and I was like, there's nothing less, ex- <laughs> like, nothing could, like, I could not care about anything less than what kind of camera you use to film a film that I think you could oh. also w- still watch on a very large screen if you wanted. Any. But like, for, like, Sydney still has an IMAX screen and it's the least enjoyable viewing experience in the world because you can't see the whole screen at once. It sucks. Imagine if you were really close to the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, just really sucks. But anyway, so, he, so Stephen Sellerberg has filmed this whole thing on an iPhone 7 and what I think it does add is this level of, like, I guess, like, intimacy, but intimacy is the wrong word. Uh, I, I use the term Kafka-esque, you know, earlier in this episode because, mm. you know, what the second film he did after Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, I didn't realise was sort of like a fictional retelling of, Kask- of Kafka's life in a Kafka-esque style. Like, he clearly is a fan of Kafka-esque. <laughs> and, that, like, th- this film is very much a horror in that same vein where a woman essentially is committed to a, a mental health facility against her will and not really for any reason other than a bureaucracy can make money off it. Yeah, okay. And, and so he uses, the, I guess, the, the intimacy of this camera to highlight the insanity of this, of this situation we're in because we're, we're seeing this in almost like the screen you video call people on. It's almost like every one of these shots was FaceTime to you. I like that there's an embrace of the limitations of the machine. That's not like, let's just do a film I would have otherwise done, um, but use a different camera to do it. Like, it, it strikes me there's been some thought put into how do we grapple with these limitations. Yeah, and there's some really nice moments. Like, there's a moment when we're inside a car boot and we're using the camera's low light feature. So, it's not... The, the, you know, being inside, it's not really lit well and you're in a studio. 
it does feel very claustrophobic. Or there's scenes in the forest where, again, the whole thing's in blue, which, and, and I don't know if it's an effect from the camera or from the phone's camera, or it's just how the film sees dark light in a forest. But again, it it adds this claustrophobic effect that just heightens the the despair you feel watching this film. It doesn't feel like there's any found footage real quality to it but but do, does it an ad, does it add sort of an air of reality to 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 the experience make it sort of a more visceral and immediate I think that's exactly it I think that's exactly it it's it's found footage without being found footage it's it it feels re- real but it also feels claustrophobic at the same time which I think is only heightens the effect of this film I I was I was hugely impressed but also Peach like I don't think this is one of those films like even though you're now into horror, I think this might be a tough film for you because this is a relentlessly bleak film. Yeah, this this one, this is a feel bad club. This is this is this, really is, this cool. is feel bad club. It made me feel gross, and it, it it made me also think about what's the difference between a thriller and a horror because there's no supernatural antagonist in this. Mm. But I don't think you need a supernatural antagonist for horror. Not when you've got capitalism. No, no, and capitalism is definitely the bad guy in this. But you need. Mm. You need that despair. You need that feel-bad club. You need that things aren't right with the world. And that's what this film absolutely has. So, all right. Steven Soderbergh can't write people's names, though, because the main character is called Sawyer Valentini. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't even have any feedback on that. You know, I just, like, what are we meant to do? Is it meant to feel like it's from the future or like an alternate (laughs) reality? It's from the (laughs) future. I just like it. I think it's rude to comment on people's names, but there are some names when you hear it and you're like, oh. And if someone was like, hey, you know, like, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm the fill in for your Thursday night soccer team, I'm Sawyer Valentini, I'd be like, huh. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> how are your parents? How are they doing? <laughs> anyway, so Sawyer has recently moved away from her home city of Boston to escape a stalker. And this film's really well done because we don't actually know this till about halfway through the film. But we do know that she's moved away suddenly and she hasn't really told many people. And even from the beginning, she seems a little bit skittish. She seems a little bit off. And a lot of the shots are sort of taken as if we're surveilling her rather than we're right there with her. Yeah, well. She's still traumatized, as you would be. And early in the film, she has a Tinder date. She takes the guy home. He goes to kiss her, and she has a moment where I think she sees her stalker's face in him in the dark and, like, pushes this guy down and runs into her bathroom and locks the door. Later on, she's talking to a counsellor at Highland Creek Behavioural Centre where this counsellor is sort of asking her questions Mm. and... She's answering them and explaining what's happened. And we, we, we start to get a little bit more details about, like, you know, why she's here, what's happened. The counsellor asks her if she's considered self-harm. And she gives this answer where she's like, there's this drug index. I can't remember exactly what it's called, where the number indicates how concentrated the drug is. And I think if it's a, if it's a smaller number, the drug is more lethal to humans. And she's like, I've always pictured myself spending my final hours experimenting with that index or whatever, which is like a really weird 
answer, but also a bit of a like red flaggy answer for the psychiatrist who's like, oh, that's a very specific oh, answer. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. She gets her to sign a form. Sawyer's like, what's this form? She's like, it's just a regular form. There's a recent decision in the Supreme Court of New South Wales um, with Michael Hill Jeweler, like a popular jewellery manufacturer and a like, bag manufacturer, like a packaging manufacturer. And essentially an employee of Michael Hill Jeweler like, clicked like an okay or agree to what we sometimes call a click wrap contract. And it was like an agreement to buy like two million bags of packaging <laughs> every year. <laughs> <laughs> And um, look, the really short point is like it held up. It was enforceable as a contract. So like even though, you know, you've got the South Park episode of the I still can't make it read human sent iPad and, and all that sort of thing, these kind of, oh, just sign it. Don't Like, don't worry. And if there's weird stuff in there, we'll be able to challenge it later. No, no, this is scary. So she signs this form that the psychiatrist is like, this is just a regular form. You don't even need to read it. Uh, unwill- unwittingly knowing that she signed a consent form for voluntary 24-hour admission to a locked psychiatric hospital. Something that comes up in this mm. is, and, and I, I, it seems like it happens more in America, but maybe it happens here too, in mm. which the people use a law essentially aggressively to like i don't know how to say it in a way that's not like i'm not trying to be like it's evil but like we'll use it maliciously to to stop people from like you know like this this signed contract that now holds up in law even though people knowingly you know like and that they would have lawyers who would defend that and would have written up this contract in a way that would be dense to read I, i guess in a roundabout way do you think there are lawyers who don't act in the best interest of people, basically? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't act in the best interest of the other side to my shit. Like, I don't, you know, if, I, if I'm acting for Shag, um, I'm not acting in the best interest of Shag's opponent. <laughs> um, I, I don't particularly care. Like, like I, I'm not off pursuit. Like, I might expose you, I might advise you on the risks that what you're telling me to draft would fall afoul of the unfair contracts regime. Um I might advise you that the form of consent you get for someone who you are committing to an institution on the basis they don't have mental capacity, you're literally admitting they don't have capacity to consent (laughs) to the thing you are having them consent to, so you'd be exposed there. So there's an element where I just take your instructions and then advise you about risk. That's that's sort of the most cold-hearted element. If you did instruct me to do this, I'd tell you to fuck off, of, of course, but- it wouldn't be like I'd then go run out and tell Claire Foy to be like, Claire, Claire, don't go into business with my client um, because they're an evil client. I'd just, I'd just tell the client to go jump. I think that's um, really interesting. And that actually kind of answers my question because coming back to this idea of, you know, Kafkaesque mm. where there's not actually a bad guy, mm. it's more capitalism or the bureaucracy is the bad guy. Mm. And, you know, people are just the unfortunate victims of it. Of course it makes sense that lawyers aren't necessarily evil they just will ruthlessly do whatever it takes for their client. Because that's we are Kafkaesque. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, all right, all right. She gets a phone call, calls the police, but they do nothing when they see the signed form. During the night, 
Stress causes soy. I love that. Like, like police are like, no one's ever been forced to sign a form. <laughs> any any signed form is a signed form. That's the end of the inquiry. <laughs> During the night, stress causes Sawyer to lash out through physical altercations with a patient and a staff member. And like, there's like, it's it's awful, right? So she doesn't have her own room. She's essentially staying in a dorm. With all of these mm. people, and it's like fucking one flew over the, the cuckoo's nest, right? Like, there's- yeah, I expect it's not uh, considerate and respectful treatment of the mental health challenges that afflict This is a genre film. This is a horror film. This is a exploitation film to a degree. Yeah, so, okay. there's the evil girl who's calling her a different name and won't leave her alone. There's the guy whose behavior is kind of sexually assaultive. Like, I think- I think he goes to touch her and I think he actually might touch her breast and that's why she hits him. But then obviously she gets blamed <sighs> for it because all the staff see is her lashing out rather than the things that lead to her lashing out. After these 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 moments where she basically like defends herself essentially against other inmates, the staff psychiatrist retains her for seven more days. Another patient, Nate Hoffman, reveals to Sawyer that Highland Creek is running a scheme to milk health insurance claims for profit. They trick people into voluntarily committing themselves as long as the patient's insurance companies continue to pay. When insurance claims run out, the patient is cured and released. So she's now become part of this scam and no one targeted her specifically. Mm. She just happened to fall into the orbit of this scam where they find a reason to commit you and then they keep you in the, in this locked facility for as long as they can charge your insurance company. And because it's a hard thing to prove outside of, you know, a psychiatrist diagnosis, it's a really mm. easy thing at the end to be like, they're cured. Yep. Da, 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 da. Here's the doctor signing off. And because of the stigma against being in a facility like this, if anybody complains, it's like, they're crazy. What a crazy person would say. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a perfect scam and there's nothing she can do. So this is where things get fucked, right? So she's trapped. It's already fucked. One day, Sawyer sees David Strine, her stalker, working as an orderly under the pseudonym George Shaw. She immediately is like, what the fuck are you doing here? Tells the staff. The staff are like, his name's not David Strine. His name's George Shaw. Once again, you're lashing out. We need to give you further medication to keep you, like, sedated. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is nightmarish. It's, mm. it's nightmarish, right? Like, it's, it's so bleak, but it's so well done. Anyway, so Nate, has a, Nate, her friend, who told her about the place, has a secret cell phone, and Sawyer sees him use it and basically is like, if you don't let me use it, I'm going to tell everyone you've got it, uses it to call her mother, Angela, who attempts to get her out. Sawyer reveals to her mother about having been stalked and explains that David is at the hospital. So what happens here <clears throat> is the mother comes to the hospital and tries to get her out and the hospital is basically like, she committed herself voluntarily. If you come after us, we'll send our legal people after you. We'll defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and like it's, it's, it's kind of like this thing where it's like, there's actually no getting her out. And she and then she calls the police and the police are like there's nothing we can do. She signed a form. There's no illegal crimes here. She calls the lawyer and the lawyer's like this is all above board. So, 
Once they do something that isn't above law. Whose lawyer is that that she calls? Like, I'm sorry to do law Oh, she has a lawyer. The mum has a lawyer. Mum has her own lawyer. I think just like the family lawyer. I think think at a certain level of wealth, you have a family lawyer. Yeah, okay. Okay. So the mum calls their family lawyer and the lawyer's basically like, everything they've done is legal. They're keeping her for seven days because they can. That's the law. Until they do something illegal or you can prove something illegal, I can't do anything about this. Yeah. Look, yeah, I don't want to say it would never happen, but yeah. Anyway, let's let's not do law check. <laughs> so, 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 so. It also seems weird that a lawyer who would be, like, using this for business would be like, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> just, just, just call me in seven days. <laughs> but as well, it doesn't strike me that he's looked into it at all. No, no. And as well, if, it, if someone came to me and like, hey, my friend Shag's in a bit of a tough spot, can you give me some advice? I'd be like, uh, I could probably give Shag some advice. Like, you know, I'll probably have to go see Shag and then try to figure out why he doesn't have the capacity to speak to me or instruct me. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, look uh, I haven't fully and properly thought it through. And um, Adrian Corbold, who, who listens to this podcast and deals with people who lack capacity, takes instructions from them from time to time and from um, guardians and tutors and people appointed for them will, will know more about this than I would. But I, I suspect this is more nightmare. I yeah. hope this is more nightmare than uh, I think so. Chilling. I think so. And, and I think it's okay that they break the rules here because the point is she's in mm. this waking nightmare that she can't escape from. No hope. Yep. Yeah. And, it's, and, and now she's trapped with her stalker in a position of authority. So David intentionally gives Sawyer a large dose. So David, one of David's roles is to give medication out to all the inmates, including Sawyer. And so intentionally gives her a large dose of methylphenidate, uh, causing her to appear insane. And that evening, he convinces Angela, her mother, who had never seen him before, that he's a hotel employee after finding out that she's staying nearby. And we don't know this until <sighs> later, but kills her. Sawyer and Nate continue to talk about what's going on and Sawyer continues to use Nate's cell phone to try and like get, you know, because Nate's hope, right? Nate's a guy Mm. that knows this is fucked, knows Sawyer doesn't belong there, has a cell phone for some reason and, you know, is the lifeline, right? This is really going to break my heart, Jake. David starts watching them together, feels threatened by Nate, and so while Nate's in the toilet, knocks him unconscious, brings him down to the basement. Now, we've been talking about the basement this whole film. It's like, you keep acting up, you'll go down to the basement. Takes him down to the basement. So Nate wakes up in the basement, tied to a wheelchair, with, I guess, like a soft pad in his mouth. And David's like, having a cell phone, is an infraction having a relationship with a client that might impede on their treatment that's an infraction too you need to be punished fires up a def- okay so this is this is actually like one of the most hot like i'm seeing this film through an iphone makes it especially fucked takes like a defibrillator <sighs> and puts it on both sides of his head oh god and you watch Nate just get electrocuted and just like convulses till he passes out. Now, Nate earlier on revealed to us, the audience, but also Sawyer, mm. 
that one of the reasons he was in there was for being addicted to opioids. And there was an insurance scam around there being a four-week treatment plan for people with this who could get committed to a thing. So it's all basically this 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 whole building, this whole facility is basically one front one giant front for taking money from insurance companies. And he's there for his sentence is is effectively four weeks, which is the length of this. He's been in there for three weeks. David then injects him with a lethal overdose of fentanyl. I don't know what that is, but yes, it sounds like which I think to is, me. The o- is like the opioid that's like it's like a so it's a problem in the states. I think it was. Although a- I suppose lethal overdose is probably the more relevant part of that sentence, rather than what's <laughs> yeah, but but it's also yeah. the drug that he was addicted to, right? Ah, sorry, yes, yes. Sawyer finds Nate's phone under her pillow with images of Nate badly beaten. She alerts the staff, who dismiss and put her in solitary confinement because she has a phone. David then visits Sawyer in solitary oh confinement my God. and says he has a secluded mountain cabin where he wants to take Sawyer to so they can start their life together. Sawyer mocks him for his inexperience with women. David later returns and reveals he faked that Sawyer's insurance ran out, changing her status to be released. Meanwhile, at a forest nearby, the body of the real George Shaw is found alerting oh, the police who realise that there's a George Shaw at the, yes. the facility that everybody keeps calling them about. Looking for a way out, Sawyer feigns concerned that David is a virgin and that she does not want to be his first. She convinces David to bring another woman down to solitary confinement and have sex with her to prove that he will only want Sawyer after losing his virginity. Sawyer suggests Violet, who is the woman at the start who thought she was somewhere one else and was really threatening towards her. Um, another patient who previously threatened Sawyer with a shank and he brings her to the solitary confinement cell. Sawyer uses oh Violet's God. shank to stab David in the neck and flees as he kills Violet. As soon as she makes it outside, he recaptures Sawyer and she wakes up in his trunk next to her mother's corpse. Like, it's just, it's a relentlessly bleak and dark film. It isn't over yet, but Peach, how are you feeling before this final paragraph? No, I feel pretty bad. Um, Very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. um, Little glimmers of hope snatched away. Glimmers of hope snatched away. um, Like waking nightmare type situation. So she only realizes she's next to her mother's corpse when she realizes she's next to a bag, opens the bag, and finds the cross that her mother wore around her neck, which we knew from a previous scene is something her mother always wore. And she screams and kicks her way out of the trunk and jumps out of the moving car. David follows in pursuit. After Sawyer falls down, David catches Sawyer and breaks her ankle with a hammer. God. She's lying on the ground in the woods. And then there's this unbelievably creepy scene where he's like, you look so beautiful lying here. I can't wait to start a family with you. You're going to be such a great mom. She manages to stab him in the eye with Angela's cross and then slits his throat with the shank. Oh, nice. Meanwhile, it's revealed that Nate was an undercover investigative journalist sent to investigate Highland Creek 
Police execute a warrant on the centre and arrest the hospital administrator. Which, that's the only thing that's not Kafkaesque about it, which is things are kind of solved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we also killed our big bad. Yeah. But six months later, while at lunch, Sawyer is chatting with a co-worker before she sees David sitting in the restaurant. She panics, grabs a knife, approaches him, ready to stab him, but upon realising it's not him, drops the knife and runs away in a panic. Yes, that's misery. Yeah, I'm with you. It's misery, but also what's maybe problematic about it is, Mm. did it all happen? I mean, the film is called, like, I I realise it's called Unsane and there's reasons why it'd be called Unsane. I think that ending is that horror ending where, again, don't look at it too closely because it's, like, it's meaningless, but does it mean that potentially things didn't happen exactly as she saw them happen? The reason I hate an ending like that is if it's like, oh, were we watching a hallucination? There's a real element of like, oh, okay, so who gives a shit? Like <laughs> sort of that really flows from that. For me, of like I've had nightmares too. They're pretty scary. Uh, you, you know, the end. Um, so th- th- that means there are two alternatives that that ending gives rise to. One, this was quote, quote, real within the universe of the film. And so we watched something that happened within the universe of the film to some made-up character made up that this stuff happened and uh, what they made up wasn't even something they voluntarily made up as an act of creativity. It was just something they merely hallucinated that was merely magicked into their mind by their subconscious. I don't care about the uh, astro- the uh, sort of projections of a fictional <laughs> subconscious of a character who we are told may well be mentally unstable. Like it's just too many levels of um, sort of too many derivative levels from reality for me to give a shit at all. Uh, And so there's only one satisfying ending and I choose to believe shag end of shining style. I choose to believe it's a good ending and I choose to believe it happened. Yeah. And and look, to be honest, I do think it happened. I think, Mm. I think those endings are a bit cheap where we're, we're supposed to call into question, like, what's going on in her mind. I think there's one interpretation where it's like she will never be okay after the experience, even after she's killed him, like she'll be haunted by him forever. Mm. But I think considering the title of the film and considering she spends a lot of the film being like, I don't belong in this facility, but there's an element of, like, do don't you belong? Because you've been getting really angry and lashing out at a lot of people, even though Mm. they've been essentially hurting you, like... I, I yeah, I yeah, I, I I don't know. But at the end of the day, it is a genre film. It's an exploitation film. It doesn't have to be like a perfectly moral exercise. And I've got to say, Peach, I it's weird that I would go back on. I hate gimmick films, but the gimmick here really worked for me. Like, comment, subscribe, share, get us our serotonin. We won't get addicted to fentanyl. Um, it'll be good, good stuff. And also, like, like I've already told you how social media can like be really bad for my mental health so like it's in your hands oh so hang on hang on hang on. but so can, can we think that through <laughs> sorry so protect shag's men so what's the ultimatum protect shag's mental health it's an by following the nightmare method <laughs> and following spooko uh on wherever uh-huh. mainly instagram some tiktok and shit Jack, I so don't care whether people follow yeah, us actually, on I really social don't media. Either, actually. And in fact, if I do, like the problem would be me caring. 
that would be bad for my mental health. So like, do whatever the fuck you want. Not to get too distracted, but um, because I sort of pub- publish stuff and people talk to me about it, you do see that. Like, I do see people on the other side of like, oh yeah, I've just got to put a few more like photos of my kids and like f- jokes about my dogs and shit in here for it to really pop off and get those real X kind of numbers. And it's like, whoa, like you fucking need to chill. Uh, this is all made up numbers and ones and zeros. But then again, maybe my view's wrong, Shag, and maybe I'm the real unsane one. Really <laughs> makes you think about what the new iPhone's going to be capable of. Also, we didn't even talk about the name unsane because it also means in. It's not like a flip on insane because in and on effectively mean the same thing. So it's like, yeah, is it a real word? So is it actually a real word, or was it coined for the film? Well, it was. It was the name of a band in the '90s, around about the same time he was making Kafka. It was also the English version of a Dario Argento film, Tenebre, Tenebre, Tenebre. I never know how to pronounce that film, but it was the English name of a of a '80s horror slasher. But even the, which which was a, a, and it, you know again, it's like it, it it's wordplay that I don't like. Maybe like 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 fucking hit me up if I'm wrong about this, but it's like. Insane and unsane effectively mean the same thing. So calling something unsane doesn't do anything, does it? Unsane sounds like a juggalo music festival to me. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?